Hey everybody. Today, we are going to do something a little bit different. Uh, I want to invite you or the people that you are with right now to get your hands on the scriptures, to get your hands on specifically a story that I'm going to read in a moment. And it's a story that I believe has something to say to us right now, right now in this big cultural moment that we're in, and right now for our church as we're about to enter these two weeks of prayer and fasting and worship. So you've carved out, in theory, 20 to 30 minutes to listen to me teach. And today, uh, instead, what we're going to do is uh, do a short Bible study, something often, often called an inductive study. So first off, I'm going to share a little background. Then we're going to follow a really simple acronym, OIA, which is Observation, Interpretation, Application, OIA. In uh, the first two parts, I'm going to leave time for you to ask yourself or the people that you're with questions of the text to wrestle with it. And then I'm going to end with a little application and preaching that I believe is going to set us up for truly the most powerful first seek that we have ever had. So first, some background. The story that we're going to read involves the central character here is a character named Jehoshaphat, which is a great MC name, by the way. Jehoshaphat ascended to the throne at the age of 35, reigns for 25 years. He, uh, we're told, walked in the ways of his father or ancestor, King David. Um, he, in, in ancient Hebrew, this is basically a way of saying like he was one of the good kings. Now the book that we're reading out of in Chronicles was written to talk about, um, basically looking back at Israel's history as it related to the kings and to essentially bring hope to what was ultimately to come. So the author of the book of Chronicles generally has this incredibly high praise for Jehoshaphat. The kingdom enjoyed unbelievable uh, peace and prosperity. The blessing of God, we're told, is resting on the people in their basket and their store, the writer says. So with all of that, let's read a bit about a key moment, a pivotal moment in King Jehoshaphat's reign. We're told in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 that there are three armies uh, that are approaching uh, the kingdom. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat that this vast army involving these three different um, folks were coming at him. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Quote, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army. 
So if you've been dialing out for all of that so far, dial in here. Jehoshaphat, this king, is saying we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All of the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon uh, Jehaziel, son of Zechariah. He stands before the assembly and he says, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will climb up. He gives them some instructions of what's gonna happen. And then he says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them and the Lord will be with you. As you can probably guess, the story ends well. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to open up that text. There'll be a link in the chat. Some of the text will be on the screen. And I want to invite you to take this first step, which is simply, simply to observe. Observe the facts the significant characteristics that are happening in this passage. Write them down, as many questions as you can, and then keep going. You'll hit a wall and feel like there's no more questions I can ask. I love doing this exercise when you think about the um, well-known verse, love your neighbor as yourself. Like how many questions can you really ask about that section? Well, there's so many, right? What does it mean to love? What does love look like? Who is my neighbor? What if I don't know how to love myself? The questions underneath the questions, underneath the questions. Just keep going, circle, highlight, underline, write them out on a page. Um, who's mentioned in the passage? What's happening? Where is the action taking place? What natural or supernatural forces are being referred to? What words, ideas, or phrases are repeated? What are the things that are being compared and contrasted? Uh, if there's any question marks you have, go feel free to like Google them if you have a commentary need you, near you. Just take a moment to observe what's going on. If you're with a group of people, try to capture these observations uh, and steer the group sort of in a faithful direction in some way. Write those things down. So take a few minutes now and take some time with the text.
So part two, interpret. I want to invite you to start answering a few of your solid questions that you wrote down. Discover the answers together, if you're with other folks, like why or why not or the how of scripture. Is there a common idea running through the passage? What's important in this passage? What would be important to the original, for the original audience to actually understand? Maybe encourage people around you to summarize, uh, or if you're, again, by yourself, just in your journal, summarize in one sentence the theme of the entire passage that you think just gets at the main idea. This isn't application yet. This is interpreting your observations. Uh, if you hit a wall, take a moment just to pray and just keep writing, keep reflecting, go back to the text and read it again slowly. What stood out and begin to ask, okay, what are the answers to some of these questions here in the text before we jump to applying it to our lives? See you in a moment.
Welcome back. Finally, application. This is the moment in this simple, obviously abbreviated Bible study practice that we ask, what truth does God want us to believe? Like what lies does God want to expose in our beliefs? What action do we need to take? Is there an invitation to to worship, to repent, to give thanks, to wait, to serve, to reach out, to repent? There's one line that I want to draw your attention to in this section. This is the line that jumped out to me when I studied the text. And this is the line, the prayer that I actually want to um, invite us to mark the next couple weeks together as a church. Here it is. When Jehoshaphat says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This is a decisive and unconventional leadership move. Jehoshaphat has these three armies coming at him. And I can't help but draw a little parallel here, the preacher and me. Like, we've got three big things coming at us. A global health pandemic, a world economy that has come to a screeching halt, and a reckoning around issues of racial justice. All of this is producing so much fear and so much anxiety in many of us. Or for others of us who've been able to, for one way or another, insulate ourselves, it has produced indifference and complacency. The odds weren't good for Jehoshaphat, and they aren't great for us. And so what does he do? Well, first, he names his lack He identifies his needs. I mean, just pause for a minute. It's always helpful for me, just as an aside when I'm studying scripture, to slow down. My mind's racing. It's about getting to the finish line. It's about completing the thing. It's about getting to the right answer. Slowing down just on the line, we don't know what to do. Most people have places in their life where they're leading, somewhere. Some of you in a more elevated sense than others. That line is not a line you want to hear out of your leader unless it's coupled with the next line. It says, when I don't know what to do, what do I, I I don't know what you do. What I do is I go directly into battle mode. I declare war. I scheme and I fight and I try to control. And Jehoshaphat humbles himself, which by the way is not weakness. It's actually a form of strength. He has the strength and wisdom to realize this is a moment where he needs God more than ever. He needs God to move. There's no getting out of this. He, like to humble ourselves before God means that we turn away from ourselves and that we actually make ourselves low. This is what he is doing, turning like his people's eyes towards God. And so what that looked like in this section is in verse three, he proclaims a fast, it says, across Judah. In verses five to 12, he's crying out. We're gonna cry out to God. And then in verse 18, it's like he sends like worship leaders to like the the front lines. In fact, King Jehoshaphat had people like singing and worshiping God before going into battle, just giving thanks for all that he has done in the past. Friend of mine is a pastor was recently asked, and he's talking about the church. This was like a leadership podcast. And he was asked, um, do you think that the church, do you think that we missed the moment? And this was in the context of talking about quarantine, 
talking about the virus, the pandemic, talking about all churches across the world having to like shift the way they do things and their focus and what community looks like. Do you think we missed the moment? And sadly, whether he's right or wrong, uh, and I think he's headed in the right direction, he said, I I think we may have. I I think we might have. One of the first messages I gave at the beginning of quarantine was uh, simply titled, Don't Waste the Coronavirus. Don't waste the moment. This has been a theme that's come up over and over and over. Pastor Sarah uh, taught about this as a moment to take hold of. She talked about a kairos moment, a timely moment. There are so many opportunities for repentance and deliverance and healing and new rhythms. And, and it was so easy to, because it's so easy to miss it. I think we kept, without meaning to, we just kept coming back to that drum in one way or another. I started thinking like, I don't, like I started thinking about my grandkids is a funny thing, I guess. I just started like wondering if they asked me, like, Grandpa Andrew, like, what was the world like when like quarantine happened? Like, what was it like when the world shut down? What did you do when the world shut down? I just thought to myself, I hope that it's not like listing off a bunch of shows that I binge watched and my workout routine. Like, I want to get in this moment right now to Jehoshaphat's level of desperation. It's like he's praying. I hear all these like secondary prayers, like the prayer underneath the prayer. God, search us. Show us where we have problems with self-reliance. God, where are we powerless? And again, I'm talking specifically, you may be new with us. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. I'm talking though, I really mean to be talking to the church. This relates to us as individuals, but I'm thinking of us sanctuary as a family as we're about to enter two weeks of prayer and fasting and worship. I worry our prayers have only been for protection and a return to normalcy. Lord, let everything just reopen and let's just pick up where we left off. I think we got our eyes on solutions and not on God. And there is a difference. I've been wondering what might God be stripping stripping us of? Like, what are the false things that we've relied on? My prayer is, God, in this stripping moment, if I let it be that, would you help turn my heart back to you? Would you help turn my attention more toward you in deeper ways? Jehoshaphat is surrounded by a force that he cannot control. And he calls the people to fast and to pray and to worship. They come and appear before the Lord. Even it says infants in mother's arms. They appear before the Lord and they say, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Prayer, fasting, and worship. This is what we're gonna do for the next two weeks. If you missed kind of the front end of the service or, we're distracted or whatever. There's all sorts of things. You can go to the, our website or go to inourtime.co. But every Tuesday in the morning at 8 a.m., we want to invite you to come and join us for communal prayer on the Zoom. Just two Tuesdays. Commit to that. Or in the evening at 8 p.m., there's going to be another time of prayer. We're asking everybody to 
to decide today on this Sunday, what are things that we can be fasting from for the next two weeks that would turn our attention? If you don't know anything about fasting or why we do it or why it's important or why it's so beautiful or powerful, again, you can find all that at the inourtime.co website or our website. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to have a slightly shorter broadcast because church, really the main event next Sunday is going to be going out and joining others to basically walk circles around our neighborhood. We're going to invite as many people as possible to walk a circle around their neighborhood and pray for it, to pray for what's happening, to turn places in our city, maybe where there's been injustice or hurting or pain or anxiety into altars of prayer. The following Saturday, we're going to have an in-person worship event. There'll be registration. Obviously, it won't be huge, but it'll be right here. We're going to worship together in the same room. I know that many of us, when they hear this prayer, there may be something in the back of your mind going, well, well, I get it. And some people really might not know what to do, but I do. I I have a sense of what to do. I do have a little, I, have, I do have some clues, Andrew, on what it means to, to, to move forward in this season. But to go back to not wasting how much further God might draw us to himself or what things the church is invited to change and strip itself of. I think God is looking for us to seek his heart specifically for the church. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So I want to leave you with a passage. And it's something that immediately came to mind when I read Jehoshaphat's story again. This is Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. It's a way of saying like, be in awe. Know who you are and know who God is. Have that right perspective. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. When you do this, this will bring health and nourishment The writer goes on, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. It's better to give than to receive. There's nothing we have that we have not received. Verse 11, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Don't resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. There's hardship and ache and pain. Allow it to move us, change us, grow us, deepen us. Verse 13, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver. She is wisdom here and yields better returns than gold. Jehoshaphat embodies this, at least in this section. We don't know what to do. I'm powerless. I need you to make my path straight. I need you, Lord, to guide. I need you, Lord, to discipline. I need you, Lord, to take the reins. I don't want to get out in front of you. And in this season, more than ever, we don't want God to get out. We don't want to get out in front of God when it comes to what's next. 
how are we called to give and serve and what does meeting look like and how does God want to grow us and who are we called to be and how are we supposed to join God in the renewal of all things, in the loving of our city? How does God want us to become more of a voice of hope in this moment? So I am inviting you to take these next two weeks to hopefully set up a much longer season of prayer and fasting and worship as we seek God together. Lord, I thank you for time in your word. I thank you for the gift that it is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I look forward to seeing you all in the Zoom. If you're new with us, our broadcast is not over. We conclude our time together uh, live in this synchronous moment of taking communion together. So there's a link that's right here. There's also a link in the chat. Uh, You can just click right there and in about 30 seconds, we'll just take three to five minutes and take communion together. See you in a moment.